Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie, when I see a film about slavery... Peace, and welcome to the Abolitionist Daily. April 23rd, 2015. This is Johanna and Elia, your host, and we are back on the Black Talk Radio Network. For the live listeners that did follow us day to day, I appreciate you sticking with us. And had a couple of days to take care of some some business outside of the the radio world and the in the so called real world, but uh, chomping at the bit to get back to uh, this daily thing we do, this uh, meeting that we have where we discuss modern day slavery and human trafficking, discuss the uh, the news and what's going on, the um, the headlines discuss the the causes. We don't just go into showing you symptoms without giving you a clear path to what the cause is, and then not only just the causes, but then also discussing with you the remedies so we could fix these problems that we're facing because we've got quite a bit going on in the United States of America, the uh, largest slave state on the planet which also makes it the the largest rape state the most uh deaths in custody the worst health care on and on and on these are all problems that we face since we decided to be a slave nation and the people have decided not as yet to rise up and to fight the slave nation and to demolish it and dismantle it and make it impossible for the slave state to arise again these are the things we suffer as a result of so today in addition to uh, some of the the headlines that are things that you know just popping up um, since the last time we spoke I've been studying into this situation with the FBI um, coming out and and admitting that they've got these these, uh, close to 300 cases so far that they have to admit that you know, they they were lying. They weren't experts. They don't know what they were talking about. They were just throwing people in prison. And um, on the new abolitionist radio broadcast um, last night, we were discussing this, and then uh, went back into talking about the Annie Dukin case. And uh, for the abolitionist daily listeners, and uh, for the the sake of this podcast, that's something that we haven't discussed as yet. Is the whole Annie Dukin situation? 
So I thought today we'll talk about Annie, and not just Annie, but um, also her uh, cohort partner in crime that was not criminally charged but she was also just as every bit as guilty for doing her dirt and giving false testimony and falsely presenting herself as being someone that that uh, was about something in this game uh, Katie Corbett so we're going to talk about her too and her situation how she ended up uh, implicated in all of this and what's happened to her since I found uh, not too long ago she actually filed a lawsuit against the uh, the state for letting her go because they caught her lying about her credentials so these are some things we're going to look at today because really all of this is what is causing our pain we've talked about the police in depth we've discussed you know at length the abuses and the criminality uh, we've talked about the laws and how the laws are created we've talked about how many laws are steadily being created and statutes and Regulations and all of these things. We've discussed how basically every person in America commits two or three felony, you know, felonies a day according to federal regulations and laws that are on the books that you don't know anything about. But we've discussed at length how you have to be honest. Certain things are being prosecuted and other things are being allowed to fly. And I mean, we know that from as large of situations as the bank bailouts and all the criminality that was involved in, in uh, creating those situations in the first place, nobody went to jail behind that, and that cost us trillions of dollars. I think just one bailout of uh, IG, uh, AIG, if I'm not mistaken, I think AIG was the one that uh, just its bailout alone cost each taxpayer up to $4,000. So when you add all of the bailouts and all of the money spent, and yeah, we see these reports that say they paid this back and this and that and what have you. The bottom line is criminality occurs. So is it, it's, it's evidently it's different for me if I go into the bank and, and go borrow five grand so I can take care of some business. Even if I flip it, if I got a plan where I need $5,000 and I can't get it, so I go to the bank and then I just go take it and then I go do my plan and it flips the money and I come out with $20,000 from my 5000 investment. I take that 5000 back to the bank. I'm still going to prison because that's what they choose to prosecute. That's what they choose to fill up the prisons with. The plantations are full of slaves that are good for this slave labor. And it's a situation where, as they say, what's good for the goose is not good for the gander. They're not going to give those people what they've got coming to them. So we're going to look at the uh, crime lab issues, not just the FBI's. But uh, the situation with uh, with Annie Duke, and we'll look at a couple other cases also, um, where in America we've seen people that that were uh, expert witnesses that came and lied. And I mean, these people don't just get down and do, you know, one or two testimonies or something and move on with their lives. These people go to the stand as often as possible. And they want to get as much money as they can get out of being expert witnesses and as much notoriety and as many doors opened as they can get for being known as a person that will come and speak in a certain kind of way. 
And for that, they build up careers as experts. They write in different uh, journals, professional science journals and forensic journals and medical journals or whatever their expertise is. And we know them as being the experts, like the FBI people claim that they were the experts. But in fact, what they're doing is destroying the lives of tens of thousands and in some of these crime lab cases, hundreds of thousands of people all throughout the nation. And that obviously has a ripple effect. I would believe that if you, the listener, were somehow plucked out of your life right where you sit right now, that that's going to have a ripple effect on everyone that knows you and loves you and depends on you and expected to be able to have a, a long natural life with you around and have you as a resource for whatever it is that you have in you for your goodness for your strength for your intelligence your courage your 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 faith your commitment your loyalty that's what i hope people imagine if i disappeared some way that man we're going to miss him i mean we he was a one of a kind kind of person we needed him i know my children will will have a hole in their lives and this is what we discount when we just allow this system to do this to us and then we find out that these people are criminally negligent and criminally implicated in thousands and hundreds of thousands of cases of throwing away lives 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years of wrongful imprisonment it's a rather common thing And that's costing people, entire communities of people, their lives. So I just want to focus on that today to, to really try to bring it around. You know, sometimes I do get into like, like a theme that I really want to express, and hopefully we can make some head, headway as far as um, getting people to care. Um, because it's it's a... Uh, It's a, it's the bad situation we're dealing with, but it can be fixed. And I am a type of person, I believe that there are the ways that we're going to fix some of these issues is going to be to look at the humanity of what's going on and remind ourselves and re-educate ourselves about being human beings. About being actual loving souls about putting people's feet to the fire in these kind of ways and if they're not like this if they don't feel this way then call in the mouth so we know where you stand who are you what side of this are you on because it's easy for people just to say oh yeah we need to we need to stop uh mass incarceration but if we're not making it personal and we're not connecting people to their humanity then it's not going to last it's a it's a uh, it's a photo op it's a it's a it's a march it's an opportunity to be around other people and and oh wait sorry about that it's an opportunity to be around other people and supposedly agree with them and feel with them 
but it's not really going to change the situation until we look at the humanity of it and see that we're denying other people their ability to live just from our inactivity, just from our nonchalance, our apathy. And we begin to see how we are also guilty through these means. Then we start to hopefully get more people that are like, look, I don't want to be guilty just by association. I don't want to be a part of the worst mass incarceration, worst murders and rapes and ill treatment of of human beings. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of history that shows me being somebody that was cool with the worst, most incarcerated state ever known on the planet. There's no history that shows that there was ever any other civilization that had more than 2 million people incarcerated within its borders there's there's no no precedent historically so that's what today's program will be about just talking about some of the things that are going on and just trying to remind us that that there's no there's no historical precedent set for what we got going on so we should be willing to fight to end it because there's no proof that we have to live this way and there's no other civilization that, that even went this far and we know how many other civilizations were so called great that eventually fail we got some news from uh, uh, John Legend so I want to uh, give you an update on that how he, his because uh, I want to follow this and see you know where is this thing going he he has reportedly uh, had a press conference and had in uh, many ex ex slaves from the plantation come and stand by his side so he's gaining well, he already had credibility because he's a singer, so he didn't have to know nothing. All he had to do was be a celebrity that, you know, spoke on a on a hot button topic, and he was going to get credibility as long as he didn't mess it up by saying something ridiculous. People are going to believe he knows what he's talking about. So, adding these people to his circle and bringing them out so you could see him on stage with them, we'll see what he did, and hopefully, there's more to it than just uh than just that. And then another new story we're going to cover is uh, out of Utah where there's an investigation has been going on about a, a man named Ramon Estrada who was, who was allowed to die because the, they were criminally negligent. The healthcare system was criminally negligent. But in this case, it was the University of Utah Healthcare, which has been running a program with the state prison system for years where they go out and provide dialysis care for inmates. And somehow wires got crossed and somebody didn't do their job and they didn't tell them that he they, they weren't going to be offering him service. And he was allowed to die. And uh, this thing is starting to flesh out more as they've actually found the technician and someone is claiming, you know, is taking the blame for this or what have you. So um, so we're going to going to look at that just again to give you some of the the headlines that are out here now. So we may as well get into it with the John Legend thing. Um, we may have to uh, see if we can get that one loaded up for the audio because that story is pretty much just uh, just an audio file but at any rate says he comes out John Legend joins crime survivors in a call for smarter criminal justice investments singer songwriter John Legend joined law enforcement and elected officials as special guests at California's largest event for crime survivors this week in Sacramento 
held during National Crime Victims Rights Weeks Week, uh, Survivors Speak is the name of it, is an annual conference and new gathering at the state capitol hosted by Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, a network of 6,000 survivors from high crime communities in California. The network and conference are organized by California for Safety and Justice, a nonprofit project of the Tide Center working to replace criminal justice uh, system waste with policies that create safe neighborhoods and, sur- and save public dollars. Survivors Speak, Building Pathways from Trauma to Healing, includes 450-plus attendees from throughout California, particularly from communities most affected by crime. The goal of the conference and the Capitol gathering is to ensure that leaders take into account the needs and perspectives of those most commonly victimized by uh, by crime. Sorry, I had a little pop-up come on my screen and kind of block what I was trying to read. Um so a goal, uh, the focus is, is, uh, the focus is one reason. Oscar, Golden Globe, and nine-time Grammy winner, singer, songwriter, John Legend made a special visit to the conference to address the attendees. The new crime survivor movement in California is inspiring not only because of the support it can bring to victims, but also the change those new voices can bring to a misguided criminal justice system, said Legend, who recently launched Free America, a multi-year campaign dedicated to amplifying the growth, growing movement to end our nation's over-reliance on incarceration. By listening to the voices of those victimized by crime most frequently in our society, we are learning that decades of criminal justice policies created in their name do not reflect what they want or need. In fact, a survey of California crime survivors in 2013 by David Bender Research found that victims of violent crime are more likely to be low-income, young, especially under 30, and Latino or African-American. Three in four victims believe that prisons either make inmates better at committing crimes or have no impact at all, and they prefer to focus on supervised probation and rehabilitation by a two-to-one margin over prisons and jails, and investments in mental health and drug treatment by a three-to-one margin over incarceration. Crime survivors shared these views as speakers throughout the conference, which also included special guest speakers such as California Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, who said, as the lieutenant governor of California and a former mayor of a big city, I've seen the terrible toll crime takes on California's diverse communities. What motivates me is hearing the voices of those uh, those most impacted by crime as they seek new pathways towards community safety. Uh, what you're doing today, elevating your experiences to improve public policy, could not be more important. Santa Clara District Attorney Jeff Rosen addressed the conference during the lunch plenary underscoring the important partnerships required uh, between crime s- survivors and law enforcement. Law enforcement and crime survivors share the same goal. We want smart justice policies in place that protect our communities, especially those most vulnerable to crime and violence. So, ultimately, this is um, this is what we have in place um, are these types of systems. And I feel like almost in contrast to you know these these types of uh i mean i I wonder sometimes like do we bring the abolitionist message to this and and like try to get them to care about what we're really saying needs to happen because all of these people are basically the nonprofit industrial complex national crime victims rights weeks week which is uh, sponsored by survivors speak 
hosted by Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, a network of 6,000 survivors, part of a non-profit project, uh, project called the Tide Center. I mean, it just goes on and on, naming all of these people who obviously, I mean, like I talk to you about the Black Talk Radio Network every day in our fundraiser. So obviously it takes funds to keep something like what we have going on. So for all of these different uh, groups, and they're at state-sponsored conventions, and they've got, you know, uh, conferences and bringing in celebrities. and So these people are operating with pretty decent-sized, I mean, respectable budgets, clearly. I mean, we could talk to John Legend, but so far no one from his group has acknowledged any uh, emails that I've sent. I don't have a phone number to call anybody, so... But somehow he wants to launch this free America. What could make America more free than abolitionism? I mean, let's just be straightforward and honest. What What's going to work to free more people than abolishing the system that we've got in place that's got 2.4 million people locked up? Over 50% of those there for nonviolent, drug-related, victimless, quote-unquote, crimes. You want to free America in prohibition is really the basic message. It's just hard to get around that. If alcohol was still under prohibition, I mean, what I feel like the, the alcohol prohibition was just such a touchstone for us in this nation. And I feel like that's why it's so disingenuous with people like, and, and I don't want to bash John Legend. I want him to be what he's trying to be. But what he's trying to do is similar to when maybe you don't pay attention to chemistry, let's say. And for some reason, one day, you notice that some chemical reaction you see. You see the, the Mentos dropped in the Coke experiment or something, and you see the explosion in it. It's like, wow, I'm fascinated now. Now I want to know, you know, why does Coke explode like that when you drop a Mentos in there? I want to know how that works. And so you start looking up you know all of those things and you find out you know the the, the chemical bases and the, the scientific names and all of this information about the Mentos and the Coke exper experiment and now because you have the money and you have the platform and because people will listen to you you come out and announce yourself that you want to be a chemist and you're going to work on ending cancer you're going to you're going to find a cure to cancer because you had a weekend where you experimented with Mentos and Coke and it got you excited and you you learned some terms and chemical reactions and you just know you should be able to go into the body and cure cancer now. It's very similar to that to me because what he's trying to do with abolitionism is just short of being an insult to abolitionists. When has he spoken to the abolitionists? Has he met with the abolitionists? Has he studied the historical abolitionists? Is he up to speed on the law? Does he understand the 13th Amendment and what its implication is to the very thing he claims he's trying to fight? Does he know anything about the history of the prison system in this nation? Does he know the state-to-state -state prison situations and and the, the departments of corrections, how many people are incarcerated there? Does he know about the statutes? Does he know about prosecutorial misconduct and criminality? 
Is he familiar with terms like stacking charges? Does he know that 97% of federal convictions are from plea bargains? Does he know that 94% of state convictions are coming from plea deals? Does he know any of this? How is he going to free America without the abolitionists? Who came back in the old abolitionist days with some claim that they were going to free the slaves that didn't go through the abolitionist movement? I don't know anyone. I can't think of anybody. We study this every single week. We put up an abolitionist profile. We study this thing every day for years. I don't know of people who were, I mean, you had those that were financially backing abolitionists that weren't calling themselves abolitionists, but they made their funds available and their political influence available. But that's not even what we're talking about. We're talking about someone that comes to the front lines of slavery and says, I'm here to free the slaves. And did that somehow outside of the abolitionist framework? I've never heard of such a thing. So I'm following the John Legend deal and I'm hoping to see him mature and grow and learn. And if anyone that ever hears this podcast can get him in contact with us, please do so. Because there's no animosity. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a brother. This is a black man. I mean, I don't have any issue with him. We're on the same, we're under the same knife, the same sword hanging over our head. We're living in the same conditions. He has a different material. He has a different material outlook on his life. He has a different outlook based on the materials that he has amassed. That's really it. Money. But outside of money, there's no difference in us. I don't know how to play the piano, but clearly he doesn't know how to be an abolitionist. So we can compare notes. Maybe I'll learn how to do a little chopsticks or something and He'll learn to start uh, quoting some of the, the, the greats that have come before him and show proper respect. So if I sound a little terse when I bring him up and I talk about this from the aspect of, you know, what is this thing going to be that he's trying to do? Just understand that it's because I have great respect. Like people respect uh, uh, biblical figures, you know, people in the faiths, you know, res- respect, you know, Prophet Muhammad or respect Moses or respect... You know, on and on. Respect the Buddha. My religion is abolitionism, as far as you know. And I respect the ancestors. I respect the great ones that came before me and literally threw their lives on the sacrificial altar. So there wasn't no staying pretty. There wasn't no having a career. There wasn't any uh, keeping your high social place, keeping your money. There wasn't any safety associated with it. There wasn't any fans and and celebrity attached to it. It was down and dirty. So if you hear me sounding at all a little terse when I'm discussing John Legend as we keep watching his arc as he grows and hopefully becomes an abolitionist, it's just because I respect the ancestors and I respect the work. And uh, I'm hoping that we'll see him get around to doing it. So John Legend, holla at me. This is the Abolitionist Daily. We're going to take our first break. We'll get back and uh, get into the news.
You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia here on the Black Talk Radio Network. And I will do my usual thing. I'll try to make it brief. But it's very important. So that's why I do it every day. Till we get there. And really even beyond that, even once we've uh, come to and surpassed our goal, which is only $60,000. I mean, we have tens of thousands of regular listeners to this network. So... You know, it's as simple as if everybody that listens to this network month in, month out gave $2, we'd be pretty close to to reaching it. Let alone give $5, that would double, literally more than double. And I think that's something that's very realistic for everyone, so that's why I try to appeal, even though my voice is not heard by everyone that listens to the station. Because there's various stations and, and channels and programs and hosts and you know, various things going on, obviously. But maybe uh, my co-hosts and, and co-producers and people that that are on this network and have programs or what have you, maybe they'll hear, you know, what I'm talking about every day of bringing it up, and they'll take that to their programs too. And I know several of us have recorded, you know, uh, uh, messages for the listeners for our programs and our networks, and I know many of us are putting out the information. So, you know, kudos to those that are also on the network that are taking opportunity to reach out and let people know we're having the fundraiser. And most definitely, as always, thank you to all of you who have already given. I mean, it's, it's a joy to see when Scotty updates the, the numbers and, and we see a boost there. And uh, when we talk and we know that there's uh, different funds made available now to do different things we need done and equipment we need and extending services that we've got to have to keep this whole thing going, that's that's us seeing that what we're doing is helping that's us feeling encouraged that what we're doing is the right thing and we we can keep pushing through even though we have personal issues going on like this is the 23rd the last pod, live podcast was uh, was two days ago because we're doing this ourselves and we have personal issues that sometimes we have to attend to. We want to be here for you every day, all day, and, and just keep giving and giving and giving. But sometimes we have to address things in our personal lives so we can still be here to keep doing this. So this fundraiser is something that helps the entire network continue to show us that this is the right thing to be doing for our community, for our children, for ourselves. The other day I saw a uh, a story and I posted it on my personal Facebook page. And again, my social media is open. I don't, you know, I'm just that type of person. I, I like to talk to people. Obviously, I'm here. I like to engage people. I like to have meetings, you know, of the minds and debates and come to understanding. I want to learn stuff. So when you learn, when you listen to people and you talk to people, you learn things. And I posted uh, this uh, story about, I think it was People Magazine's Most Beautiful Woman in the World was Sandra Bullock. And the first thing when I saw that headline, and that's why I posted it, was I, I remembered all the fallout behind uh, Michelle Obama declaring black girls rock. And it's like, what kind of a schizophrenic nation do we live in that the media went crazy over that when she said that? She was at a BET event, and BET is not even owned by black people. We all know that. The agenda is not even even driven by or created by 
are created in the interest of people of color. We know that. We've accepted it. We've all seen the Boondocks uh, episode and the, the 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 satire. You know, we've we've seen various skits and jokes, and we we know the deal. So her being at a BET event really shouldn't offend anyone ultimately because BET's revenue drives white supremacy at the end of the day. So that's the trignology to even act like, you know, well, what was she doing at a black? Is there a white entertainment television uh, network? Why would she be on black? You know, this kind of stuff. Yeah, Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN. I mean, should I go on? Yeah. There's white networks all the time, and she's on them all the time. They're always covering her and showing her, and she's at events and all this type of thing. So anyway, my point is just, this is about propaganda. And the fact that we don't control our own propaganda. The black entertainment network is, uh, television network is not even a black-owned network. And these radio stations across the country are not even largely black-owned. There's a couple of them. I think they may be gone now. I I believe there might be one or two in the entire nation that are actually black owned. Here in Kansas City, we got a company called Carter Broadcasting Group that has been around for ages. This is black owned. And they've kept the same black FM station and the same black AM station for decades. Before I was born, they were they were up and going. And your only job is to disseminate propaganda, to push out the message that you want the people in the community to hear, become indoctrinated with. It's called programming for a reason. You're programming the people's minds. So over the course of my life, I've seen, you know, the community programming was somewhat community oriented. They used to tell you about meetings. They used to tell you about events, vigils, uh, people coming to speak breakfasts and and brunches and and dinners and different things that people would put on fundraisers you used to catch those kind of commercials you used to catch those kind of people come and speak they take five ten minutes away from playing the top 40 pop and r&b jams or whatever and they play they would let people come and talk and oh yeah i'm from so-and-so and whatever and and this is what we do and i'm educated in this and this is my background and this is what i'm doing and we've got this many people and we're going to be meeting here and we're talking about this 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 and this please come out and whatever so that's kind of a balance that you have that shows both you know yeah we got to make money we sell advertising it's a popular radio station we draw more people in because we play music they want to hear whatever we get it but there's no balance now because that stuff doesn't happen. There's nobody coming and speaking. There's nobody talking for the youth. There's nobody talking for the elderly. There's nobody speaking up about crime. There's nobody speaking up about incarceration and modern day slavery for sure. There's nobody talking about the utility bills. There's nobody talking about the taxes, about the politics of the city. There's nobody talking about what our, where our babies are going and what's happening. There's nobody talking about the, the, the chlorine in the water or the fluoride in the water. I mean, just whatever it is, there's no voice for it. So when I saw the, 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 the Sandra Bullock is the most beautiful woman in the world, that's propaganda that the white mainstream media can immediately put out in response to statements made like by the president standing or president's wife standing here and saying black girls rock and that starts a whole conversation about you know is is black beautiful and who are the beautiful black women and what are the you know and it just starts this whole thing where there's a lot of negativity around it 
There's a lot of people can't believe, you know, you would dare say, you know, why would you marginalize white girls by not saying? Why would you not say Latinas? I mean, just it's all of these silly other things that are being discussed. You don't even have the right to say as the first lady of the entire nation, the first freaking family, the president's wife, you can't just say black girls rock. It's a problem. So when I talk about us supporting and creating and developing and expanding our own networks, just understand this is the kind of scope and scale I see in my mind, my imagination, is that we will have Black Talk Radio Network stations all across this country. So when our first lady goes out with a message like that, we will all be of a mind to and be in lock and step with one another across the nation. We will be pushing that same message as well. It won't be a matter of she was on BET and said one thing. So that's one network that just stays silent. They don't take a side one way or another. They just played it. And then you see a hundred networks by mainstream media come out immediately in dispute and immediately tear her down. And they reach hundreds of millions of people through all their channels and local affiliates and all of that. And so the narrative overall in the nation is that she's somehow bad and has done something bad because she said something good about black women. Us being in place with our network supports a message as simple as that. Because now we have, the, on both hands, we got the one side where she said something and it hurt people's feelings and now black people feel bad. And then on the other side, you turn around and see mass media putting out this picture of this white lady as the most beautiful woman in the world. So it's a lose-lose for us. That's just one... That ain't even a spoke on a wheel with a billion freaking spokes on it. That's just one tiny little thing. And that's how prevalent the attack is against our minds, against our souls, our spirits as people, living beings. We have to feel uplifted. We're not slaves. We're not less than anybody else on the planet. But the negativity that's pumped into us, the negative images, the attacks that go unrequited, any black person that stood up to, to defend what she said, that stood up to defend her against any of these Fox News people, against any of these these uh, videos or, or sound bites that you heard to attack the president's wife when she said that, any black voices that came to defend her, how did they even get their voice out? Through white media networks or through independent blogs that you have to know who they are to even go listen to them. But with the black talk radio network spread across the country... You're already tuned in. You already know. Scotty Reed addresses the Black Talk Radio News every day. So you would already know in your city, wherever you're at, and whoever your local person is that starts up a station there. So just understand, I'm saying all this to say, just understand when I take time out to talk about the fundraiser, I'm not just saying support abolitionists daily. I'm not just saying support new abolitionist radio, which I hope that you would. And we're working on furthering what we have to offer so you can support in various ways that maybe are better for you because it's all about us keeping this going but when I talk about the fundraiser I'm talking about something that affects all of us across the country we have the ability to control the propaganda we have the ability we have the resources we have the finances We every year they talk about black folks spend one point whatever trillion dollars if we're spending 1.2 or 1.4 trillion dollars on largely perishable, fashionable, trendy, time-sensitive material things, 
we could surely put together $60,000 between all of us to keep the network going and expand it. So that's really the message is we've got to work together to expand the network to help brothers and sisters and, and our youth establish stations in cities across the country. Connect and build is the whole point. Connect and build an actual black community as we know that we are behind these enemy lines in a domestic colony. So my hope is that you will give. Visit the blacktalkradionetwork.com website. Visit the blacktalkmediaproject.org websites. Clear as day right on the landing page. You see the donate tab. Just make a simple donation. Make a commitment to a month-to-month donation. It'll be the best year of your life. You make a 12-month commitment and, and make yourself put $10 a month into it. It'll be, I'm, I'm telling you what I know. You're going to benefit. You're doing something to try to help build things. That's how you sow good seeds. And good fruit comes from that. You will benefit from giving. So visit the websites, make a donation, and uh, we'll get back to what I do here best, is, uh, talking about slavery. The uh, phone lines are open, 712-775-7035. Access code is 367-526-POUND. Hit star six and then the number one, and you will be in this caller's queue. I will see that you want to talk and you want to... uh ask a question or make a comment or, or thank us or, or tell us to shut up or whatever it is you got that you want to do but I'll be able to see you and you're welcome to come along and do that So, um, again we're talking today we're going to talk today about um, basically like quality of life type situations because we know that the law is against us and we know law enforcement is coming after us and we know that mass incarceration is enslaving us. And while we're behind those walls and on those plantations, we're we're not in a position to help our families, first of all. We're not in a position to, um, to further our legacies out here in the world. If we have children, we're not able to pour into their lives. You know, you think working 12 hours a day, six days a week, makes you miss a lot of your kids life I mean I think that's something that most of us have in common regardless of our race or our background our economic situations or whatever the fact is if you're working and you've been working for a number of years and you have children you tend to see that a lot of time you miss what's going on you can put them in soccer and football and little leagues and uh, scouts and you can put them in all kind of things which you can afford if you've got a decent wage and you know you're inclined to put your money towards these things and that's great you're helping to develop them and helping them you know learn and grow but I think we all know at the end of the day if you're working these long shifts uh, a lot of hours and you you know you're doing what you got to do with the job and you're striving and you're trying to you know all that takes away from time to really be there pouring in and giving to and, and sometimes you look at your children and They've grown, or they look different. Their faces look different, or they de- they they've developed. Maybe they walk a little different. I look at my son sometimes, and I can you know pick up like his language has changed a little bit. Um, you know he'll be using like some new words or something he's learned, or just little things you notice, and it's like how did I miss that? Well, if we do that and we're there every day, basically we see them, we're we're around them all the time. You've got 2.4 million people currently 
and untold tens of millions of people that have been in and out of the system and, and served their time and back home and all that now that have experienced that in the extreme so when we discuss these issues as far as like quality of life that is something that is really important for us to understand it's impossible for you to not impact these children the few uh, of the of the 2.4 million those that are able to have children before they're incarcerated because this tends to take up this is a type of uh, 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 an arm of the genocide war that it tends to take people away from society during their child rearing child bearing years so young black males that get locked up at 16 17 and stay gone till they're 50 which is very common well those were the years you were supposed to make a baby even if you get out at 30 you get out you got to try to figure out a life try to get an income get pay these fines and fees that have stayed with you for all these years and you got felony now and I mean all these kind of problems these are things that prohibit people from even being able to make babies but if you have them and you're gone from them there's no way around it you're gonna miss what's happening you're gonna miss pouring into their lives so these are the other aspects of the humanity that, that we're that we're addressing that we're we're reaching out to and there's just no way you can tell me that you think a person with a dime bag of weed hell an ounce of weed I don't give a damn if they had 500 pounds of weed how do you equate that with you don't get to be with your child for 10 years for 20 years put the weed next to a child and then you tell the child because your father because your mother had this in their general possession we were able to show that they were that this was theirs you're not going to see them for 20 years when you've got over 50% of the people locked up in a nation with 2.4 million people when you've got that many people locked up behind victimless drug related crimes that's what you're saying to these children every single day your father had three crack rocks in his pocket and we've got to take him away now for 10 years okay that's just 10 years I can't get back as a developing human being and then you wonder why the youth are basically going crazy you've got some that are out here on the front lines in the protest and you've got others that are anti-social to the nth degree out here just they're not going to be you're not going to talk because you're stealing their lives you're fine with it the youth may not know exactly what they see but they've got sense enough and they've got heart enough to see that we have provided no future for them they may not know the specifics of the ecology and the problems they may not know the true definitions and the extent of the financial issues they may not really understand the social implications of the mass incarceration modern day slavery problem but all of these things adversely affect their lives and until they can truly understand it which some of them may never truly understand it they know fire is hot and that's good enough they know fire burns and they see something hot, something that will burn them, that is burning them and is consuming them. In all of these things, as I've expressed, we haven't provided a future for them. We've given them something they can get in right now and be complicit with and go along with, and then they can maintain 
until it burns out just like we're waiting on it to burn out on us but this creates antisocial sentiment in some people so when I see people attacking our youth I always like to remind them you know what have you provided for them for a future and abolitionism is most definitely something that we can offer to our youth to give them some hope to give them something that they can be a part of working with and working towards give them a connection to our history instead of just teaching them 12 years a slave which is a mandated in public schools now thanks to Montel Williams and Steve uh, McQueen the director and Penguin Books and Fox Searchlight Pictures and people that put the money behind it to put together these packages where they send this into the public schools you're talking about 92 million children in our public schools across America and 12 years a slave is a part of that now but instead of teaching them about 12 years a slave let's teach them about abolitionism so instead of connecting with victims slaves abused people only and only having a little bit of, a, of an afterthought to tell them about Harriet Tubman oh well yes yeah, she did this or just mentioning Frederick Douglass or just mentioning John Brown but focusing on roots for focusing on 12 years a slave making fun of the situation with movies like Django how about we make children abolitionists are we afraid as a nation to educate our children and make them abolitionists if we make our children abolitionists will they not stand for companies like JPay? will they not stand for companies like Securus will they not stand for companies like Corrections Corporation of America the GEO Group Management and Training Corporation will they not stand for laws that are on the books that require that people be detained if they're caught here illegally will our children stand for slavery surely they won't that's the whole point if we taught our children abolitionism they would there's no way they would stand for the slavery that goes on and then we begin to give them a future you can send them away to college all you want clearly they're not teaching abolitionism in the colleges Columbia Divest campaign has been going on for a few years now and they're still struggling at Columbia University they're still struggling to get the administration to listen to the student body the very people that they would be appealing to to come bring their their uh, academic gifts and talents and obviously their cash so they can get these degrees some of these people are going to are going to have enrolled and gone through their entire university career get their degrees and be graduated from Columbia University and still there's no movement from the staff and administration at that school on divesting from the private prison business I was reading the other day where Governor Ducey out in Arizona he's cutting funding to education and that includes the university system so the heads of all the Arizona State Universities and Arizona Universities and colleges or whatever they did get this, get those state funds, they all had a conference and come together. Because they've got to figure out what they're going to do to appeal to more people and to get more funds because the state's cutting back funds. Ducey's putting more money in prisons. And to some degree, maybe he's doing that. Maybe it goes hand in hand with the ACLU lawsuit where we saw the ACLU successfully 
sued the Department of Corrections of Arizona when you call something a success that gives the ACLU money and it's a success when the state is able to say look we didn't do anything wrong in the deaths of all these dozens and dozens of people that died in custody from neglect and abuse and torture and rape and beatings and straight up murder poor conditions of all sorts we we didn't do anything wrong and we're not going to that's a part of our settlement is that we have to be able to say for the record we didn't do anything wrong and what we're going to do is go back to legislation and ask for for more funds so we can hire more guards and we can and we can do a better job of making everything work the way it's already set up to work there's no changes there's no nobody's charged criminally there's no changes to policy none of that is a part of the lawsuit settlement they said they're going to go back to the state and ask for more money well now the governor Ducey is giving them some more money and he's taking it from the university system so the universities come together to figure out what are we going to do the Arizona State University just announced a couple of days ago what they're going to do is offer the entire freshman <laughs> the entire freshman uh, curriculum online for free They've got to appeal to more people somehow. They've got to get more people enrolled, get more people concerned and caring about getting a college education. So the entire freshman year's curriculum is now going to be made online for free. So it'll appeal to more people, and then hopefully people will get enrolled and get committed to it. And now you need to go ahead and take your sophomore year, don't you? Well, now you get to pay because we've got to get money because the governor's cutting funds because he's spending more money in the prisons because that's the way the prison settled a lawsuit where they killed 100 people in one year. And this is the way the world is going around. Do you think if we were raising our children to be abolitionists that our kids would go for this? They wouldn't allow us to go for it. So this is why abolitionism, this is why we have to teach about these stories and, and remind our children that, you know, show our children that we're working against this. And as I mentioned, J-Pay and, and uh, Securus Interestingly enough, I've talked about both of them on this program before, JPay being the company that issues um, release cards, debit cards given to inmates that it has the the, uh, the balance of the monies that they've so-called earned in their slave labor for however long they've been in prison on that plantation. So you have people that get out after five, six, ten years and have a couple of hundred dollars that they've earned that's all on that card or whatever they haven't used to survive for essentials. Whatever hasn't been taken for whatever, you know, fees they owe or what or what have you. So you get out with a couple hundred dollars and well there's huge fees on those cards to check the, the balance as a fee. To make a withdrawal as a fee. To put more money on the card as a fee. To use the card in different whatever it's a fee 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 so these people may have a couple hundred dollars and only be able to spend fifty dollars off of 200 because all the rest is going to fees this is what jpay specializes in and not just them other companies as well and then i talked about securus on this program the company that took over the video visitation in prisons and entered into contracts with state prisons that instructed them that they were to end all visual visitation and at no cost to them Securus will put in video screens and force everybody that does a visitation to come and look through a screen but there's a fee for that 
Well, interestingly enough, Securus has now bought JPay. JPay will now become a subsidiary of Securus Technologies. So they are, like I told you, we need to be doing with the Black Talk Radio Network. They are connecting and building. Prime example. I've told you about the Corrections Vendors Association of America. CVA, look it up for yourself. The, the CVA is a huge lobbying conglomerate. If you are a vendor of the corrections system somehow in this country and you join this group, you put your money in with these other guys. And everybody comes to the table with a, with a, with a million dollars, let's say. There's 50 groups in, in the, in the, in the uh, association. Well, that's $50 million. They're going to get a whole hell of a lot more done at $50 million than even one of them could do for a million to affect national policy, to affect national legislation, to affect the federal government's decisions, as well as obviously all of the individual states that are going to more or less do what the feds do as long as it makes money. And this is what we're behind when we say behind the eight ball. This is the eight ball that's, that's about to knock us right on out. It's we need to come together, connect and build and fight against these things. So that's something hopefully you learned today. You can look it up. I'll put the links up on the page, obviously, for people to be able to see. But, you know, with Securus taking over uh, JPay, that's a, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal because in 2013, JPay already was operating money transfers for 25 state departments of corrections. And it's 60 county jails. They've doubled that already. It's 2015. That was 2013 numbers. And at that time, they were combined, they were serving a combined population of 1.4 million inmate slaves. With Securus taking over, they're in line to eventually cover all slavery in America. This is the Abolitionist Daily. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Brother Elliot, first of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, again, the uh, phone lines are open, 712 775 Seven zero three five. The access code is three six seven five two six pound. Hit star six and one, and you will be in the caller's queue where you will be uh, on the program with us and share with us your thoughts and any questions you have to ask. I want to give an update too before we get into the into the uh, the FBI fallout, and we'll tell you about these other people that have been caught doing the same basic thing, just falsifying tests and throwing people in prison by the hundreds of thousands. It's ridiculous. Um, we did get an update a couple of days ago, and again, this show hasn't been live for the last two days, uh, and my apologies for that, but you know, like I said, we've got business we've got to take care of, so we're back. 
Um, but an update on uh, on our, our brother and elder uh, Mumia Abu Jamal. Um, just want to give you an update. This is from the uh, Workers World website. Uh, worldwide pressure on Pennsylvania officials on behalf of political prisoner Mumia Abu Jamal has halted the state's efforts to execute him by medical neglect. Yet the struggle must continue to assure that Mumia receives the care necessary to reverse the ravages of months of untreated diabetes. On March 30th, Mumia Jamal fainted in the prison infirmary at the State Correctional Institution at Mahoney uh, in Frackville, uh, Pennsylvania. He was rushed to a hospital in Possville where he was diagnosed with diabetic shock. Although he had exhibited classic symptoms of diabetes and received three blood tests, prison doctors at SCI uh, Mahoney had never diagnosed or treated his condition. Prison officials at first tried to keep family supporters from visiting him, but later relented after Abu Jamal supporters around the world flooded the prison superintendent and Department of Corrections officials with thousands of calls. Demonstrators also protested outside the prison at the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections in several cities. Abu Jamal has lost over 50 pounds. He's still fluctuating in his blood sugar levels and suffers from serious eczema, which has left his skin hard and crusted. His condition is stable, but he is still weak and in a lot of pain. His life remains at risk. As long as medical treatment is left in the hands of the same prison infirmary doctors whose negligence nearly killed him in the first place. Prisons officials are considering but have yet to approve Abu Jamal's request to be seen by endocrinology, dermatology, and dietary specialists of his choice. <clears throat> this ties us in two billions in prisons in profits for prison health care. Uh, which says Mumia's condition highlights the systemic neglect and abuse of prisoners in, in the U.S.'s vast and ever-growing systems of mass incarceration, modern-day slavery. It is also a clear violation of the Eighth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled this applies to the states. The U.S. Bureau of, Ju uh, Bureau of Justice reported that some 40% of prisoners and jail inmates in 2011 and 2012 were exhibiting chronic medical conditions. That's 40%. So that's not an insignificant number. Out of 2.4 million people, that's nearly half of those. So silence and apathy and nose turned up or head put in the sand or whatever people are doing, you're fine with a million people. I mean, I just, I'm to the point I don't... I don't need to disrespect anyone to feel right about what I believe in. So just understand that about me. So if I say something that maybe seems disrespectful towards someone, it's not personal. I'm trying to illustrate a point. But I'm to the point of like, I have a little respect for people that get all up in arms and act like they give a damn about the so-called Holocaust. I mean, you've got a, a, a span of years of total terror and, and abuse and murder and slavery, uh, subjugation, raping of people's resources, the, the reallocation of, of vast sums of wealth. All these things we know and more have, are, were part of that. And to throw a number around like, you know, four to six million, you know, that's supposed to be a big, you know, impactful number. Or to look at uh, something like uh, Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki. Okay, let's say we dropped these bombs. And, and if the number was a million people, 
that just died like if not instantly i mean pretty not too long afterward rotted and died in the aftermath of something that's savage and these are obviously things that the world gives a damn about i mean we're taught about this in history we cover these things this is this is seen in one case as being the thing that ended the war because these japanese were just so you know horrible they they attacked pearl harbor they had some uh, our POWs in, in war camps and, you know, tortured them. Okay, I get it. All's fair in love and wars, they say. You do whatever you feel like you need to do. If you feel like you're in war, then you do whatever you need to do to, to win the war. So the U.S. <laughs> dropped atomic bombs and destroyed people for generations. All right. We agree. That's uh, an atrocity. Um, the Nazis rounded up everybody they could that they thought was and and you know exterminated them and, and did their thing okay you felt like it was a war you did what you needed to do my point with all of this is what the hell is going on in america right now who are we at war with because we're looking at these same kind of numbers are we really honestly at the end of the day at the end of all of it let all the politics go there's no right, left, there's no Dems, Repubs. Let the race go. Okay, most of you I talk to, you're going to be the ones to tell me race is not a factor. If I bring up anything to race, I'm a racist. Don't bring up race. How'd you bring race into it? On and on and on. Common told us, extend a hand of love to the white folks. They, they just show them love, man. We got to help them. All through the generations, we've seen all of these black ambassadors entertainers, celebrities, politicians, scholars that have come out most of them married white women or white men and then they tell you that we've got to make you know bridge the gap with love we're not gonna I mean that's what everybody says we're not gonna fix the problem hate doesn't uh, dispel hate despite the fact that firefighters put out fires with fire People still believe that love is going to fix hate. Love is going to overcome hate. We've got to have more love to stop the, 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 the abuse. Okay. Who are we at war with right now? Is it the drug war? Is Seriously? There's been no dent made. More people use drugs now than used them ever before. You're destroying human beings. And I know we're talking about Mumia and we're going to get back to that. But when they start talking about knowing that the numbers say 40% of prisoners and jail inmates are exhibiting chronic medical conditions such as asthma, cancer, heart disease, high blood pressure, and diabetes. An estimated 80,000 suffer from diabetes compounded by stress, lack of exercise, in diets which are high in carbohydrates and sugar, you are torturing people, you are killing people slowly, you're generating a slave labor wage profit, slave labor profit off of people, you are, dis you are disrupting their political representation, you're committing a genocide against those specific races and ethnic groups where people are not able to procreate, you're destroying their relationships and, and the, the proper upbringing and education of their ones that do have children of their seeds you're making the environments even more 
unsafe for those that are left behind in the after in the in the absence of all these males from their communities. And then when you get a hold of these people, they have existing medical conditions in most cases, or they definitely develop them once they get locked up. Hell, we talked about the Pennsylvania prison in a new abolitionist radio last year. We talked about the Pennsylvania prison that's built on a damn uh, nuclear waste landfill. They're less than 500 yards away, like five football fields away. They're less than. You can look out of your cell window and see this huge multi-million ton dump of toxic waste. And it affects the water table and the people, and they drink the water. It affects the air, obviously. They can't even breathe and live. And people are coming down with serious cancer situations. Are they treating any of it? No, they're not cleaning up the, the dump either. No. A typical breakfast at Mahoney where Mumia is, is imprisoned includes both oatmeal and a hefty slice of sugary cake. Compounding the poor nutrition is the subpar medical care provided by Horizon Health Incorporated, a for-profit provider that reaps profits of some $1.5 billion a year from prison health care contracts. You know, we told you, uh, what was that brother's name? Woodrow, um, black man, Woody Myers, the CEO of Horizon Healthcare Incorporated. He's also a longtime board member at Stanford University uh, hospitals and, and medical clinics. Longstanding, loved, beloved, and, and, you know, respected board member. And his company generates over a billion dollars a year from prison healthcare contracts where they've been sued over 1,300 times in wrongful death, negligence, medical negligence, abuse settlements of all imaginable styles and definitions. And so when we talk about like with Columbia with their divestment campaign, and have failing to have a true effect on the administration because we had those people we had Columbia divest on New Abolitionist Radio like two years ago. They're still not really getting anywhere with the administration. They're still invested as heavily in, in in private prisons as they've ever been. Stanford the same way. These are our leading universities. And this is all one big nasty web. You put pressure on a Woody Myers. You put pressure on that Stanford board. You put pressure on Stanford University. Take some of that shine off. See, that's what they do to us. You get shot and killed in the back. Walter Scott, um, it's 2015. We saw clearly on video a police officer stand flat-footed, draw his weapon, Watch you run away from him, pull the trigger on his weapon at least eight times, hit you five times in the back, drop you, pick up a taser, walk over to your body, set it down next to you, call it in as though you were fighting with him and he feared for his life, so he had to shoot you. We find out that he's had a history of abusing people and tasing people. We find out that the police department in North Charleston, South Carolina, where he was, where this all happened, has a history of tasing people and abusing people. This is all a matter of record. But the response to Walter Scott getting murdered 
is to go find his criminal record and say, oh, in 1987, he was, a, he was arrested for assault. I mean, I'm not saying that it was the reason why he was killed. I'm just saying. And now Walter Scott is marginalized. Now the national outrage is assaged just a little bit. People calm down a little. Well, I mean, damn, man, he's another criminal, you know. Oh, he had a warrant out for child support. Oh, man, he's done. I'm not saying he deserved it, but I mean, damn. Cop was just doing his job. And this is how we blame the victims. This is how we disparage people's good names who are innocent, unarmed, minding their own business, trying to get through a day. At the end of the day, when you get through playing around and lying and doing your thing to make yourself feel better, we're all going check to check somehow. We're all trying to figure out from the most meager lifestyle. How are we going to make this work? How are we going to keep this together? How are these ends going to meet this month? And there's far more people in that situation than those of you who are so high and mighty. And you got your degrees and you got your great career. And you just, this stuff is, if people really wanted to do better, they would just, they would just do better. People just need to do better. And we dismiss all of these people's lives that are being murdered that are being incarcerated, we just blow them off like, eh, you know, you should try harder. What we need to be doing is blowing off these big head bastards like Woody Myers. We need to be putting people like him on Front Street. I'm doing it today. I'll start. I created a wanted poster for Louis Scarcella, the crooked cop out of Brooklyn, retired, part of the Polar Bear Club. They go out and raise charity money by jumping in the frozen waters of the Hudson or whatever the hell. Yeah, I put him on a wanted poster already and, de and detailed his crimes. And why he's wanted. You got information on how we can get him. Contact the new abolitionists. Well, I'm putting up one for Woody Myers now. And maybe we can start a campaign, a shame campaign, of all these CEOs and all these uh, uh, boards and, and organizations, respected institutions like Stanford. That if Woody Myers was caught, uh, what was it, Tiger Woods uh, was caught. I mean, strong emphasis and air quotes around the word caught having consensual sex with other adult women from time to time in his adult male life okay yeah he was married sorry far as you know he could have had an open marriage his wife could have told him man you go do whatever you want to do I don't care hell you got a billion dollars dude what am I going to tell you don't this man came out and gave a nationally internationally televised speech to apologize for having consensual sex he's a Stanford grad Stanford don't want nothing to do with him they dropped his Cobblin Asian ass like a hot coal for having consensual sex with white women. They didn't catch him with a bunch of welfare Naquita, Sharkishas, and Tynishas, and whatever. He was with Becky and Amber and, and Sue and whoever the hell else. Hooters, waitresses, and just regular old common white girls that wanted some, and he gave it to them. And they enjoyed themselves and had their lives and minded their own business. And this man was publicly shamed. His career is completely pretty much done. He has never recovered from that professionally or in the public eye behind having consensual sex. But yet you have people like Woody Myers that draw these big multi-million dollars of contract money for themselves personally, serve on the board of these multi-billion dollar universities like Stanford, work for companies that make billions of dollars like Horizon, and kill thousands of people a year 
get named in thousands and thousands of lawsuits for wrongful deaths and abuses and I guess you just don't give a damn. I mean, is that reality to you? Tiger Woods had sex, so boo. Corizon killed 5,000 people? Uh, well, I mean, they were criminals, so. Corizon is the biggest for-profit correctional health provider in the U.S., responsible for prisoners in 27 states. This company is drawing increased scrutiny over allegations that it skimps on care. How could it just continue to be allegations when they keep proving that it's what's happening? It's not allegations when we got proof that that's what you're doing. I just get, t I mean, even this is a, the workers org, workers.org, uh, this is like, you know, a grassroots website, a news source of people that are supposed to be on our side. I mean, come on, man, you can do better than that. Blow their ass out. What do you care over allegations? What is Corizon going to sue your website because you said you named the cases specifically where they've been proven to be negligent? It's not an allegation that these people skimp on care. It's a known fact. It's a matter of judicial record in these cases where they've been found guilty. That's not an allegation. That it skimps on care for some of the 345,000 inmates in his charge. The company has paid millions in legal settlements over inadequate or bungled treatment that resulted in the deaths of several inmates. It has been sued for malpractice in 660 different cases in the last five years. In 2013, despite concerns about Corizon's cause, widespread negligence, and abuse of prisoners, Philadelphia Mayor, old black Michael Nutter, talented 10th, blue ribbon Negro, Another one. Another one. Came into office and immediately put out as his, one of his first mandates. We're going to go after all these people that owe the city in any kind of fines and tickets. We're going to be the number one city to bring back the debtor's prison. Don't come into office and say, I'm going to make sure that a jobs program is put in place. I'm bringing business back to Philadelphia. Damn it, I'm here to save my people. Enough is enough already. Enough already. I'm tired of seeing people suffering. I'm tired of seeing the poor. I'm tired of seeing these babies. I'm tired of seeing these schools falling apart and getting closed. I'm tired of seeing people struggling because there just ain't no damn jobs. So you trusted me. You made me the mayor. If you fire me, it's going to be because I'm getting you some jobs. So you so get ready because that's what I'm going to do. And if my political opponents and these little people that's generating money off of slavery and human trafficking and doing people wrong, people to get money off of your poverty, when they come after me, you you can have my back, I hope. But if you don't, I don't care. I'm going down, bringing jobs back to this city because the crime, the incarceration, the police abuse. The police are a terrorist force in the city of Philadelphia. The police force generates about a $14 million per year average in abuse settlements. The police are basically like Corizon. And black mayor Michael Nutter comes out, finds out all of this about Corizon, and he says, well, you know, we know about the negligence. We know about abuse of prisoners. We, we know about that. But we're going to go ahead and go with Corizon. Even though one of the top competitors for the bid, Correctional Medical Care, 
offered to do the same job for $3.5 million less per year. So you put two and two together. Why would he do that? Why would he, in a city like Philadelphia, broke as hell, in a system where they closed hundreds of schools, and then turn around and announce the the building of a $400 million plus prison complex, and their reasoning is that, well, the prisons that were there were already, oh, we're already going to do that. We're, we already planned on building new. That's not, no. Just because we closed the schools at the same time, that don't put those two things together. That's not why we did that. We're not literally building a school to prison pipeline because we're taking out the schools. So, I mean, really, it's just a prison pipeline for all that can go. No, don't put those things together. We were going to build a $400 million prison complex out of no money, out of nothing. Why would he take a $3.5 million higher bid from Corizon? What could possibly be with the added on weight of all the scandal with Corizon? As we found out in the Washington DC scandal in the situation up there where they're still, the city council is denying Corizon the, the, the contract. We found out there's over 1,300 suits against Corizon. Not just the 660, which I have been quoting. Why would Mayor Nutter charge the people an additional $3.5 million per year just to have the most murderous healthcare system in the, on the planet under contract with him? You gotta look some kind of way under the table, I would suppose, because there's no logical reason on top. So maybe the answers we're seeking are underneath. So, once again, shout out to Mamiya. Solidarity, respect. We love our elder brother. And these are just some of the things that he's facing from inside. And again, that's another reason why we love him. I mean, obviously, he's eloquent and informed, intelligent brother. I mean, he would have been a brilliant leader out here, which is why they quickly uh, figured out how to get him in there. Because he was going to be who he was going to be regardless. As long as he's got breath in his lungs, he was going to be and do what he what he came here and did. And so we love him because he gave back to us. But uh, one of his messages has always been that while he's in there, he realizes that nobody, you don't get your voice out. What's going on behind the walls stays behind the walls. And he's one of the few people that's able to get his voice outside of those walls. And he recognized that unique opportunity and he's made the most of it, I would say. And we're still fighting. And we're still scrambling. And we're still warring against these powers that be. I think they got behind the teacher, um, the Marilyn Zaniga, the lady that was had the students send to get well cars or whatever and trying to get her job back. They had fired her, of course. And I think they um, they did help her, or at least they're trying to help her get her job back. I mean, this is so crazy, man, the stuff that's going on. And it's just, it could make you sad to uh, to see this, the state of how things are in this nation and how ridiculous people are, how ignorant people are. They don't even recognize. So, again, shout out to Mumia. Respect. Salute, solidarity, 
we're with you. We're still going to keep praying for you and uh, working to see that uh, that you get home, that you that you get health and get safe. But that we still want them to get home. Before our next break, I'll introduce you to what we're going to finish the program today discussing. We're going to go into a bit of depth discussing this situation with the FBI. And they're admitting, so far anyway, to being completely wrong and being liars. Being criminals, ultimately, sitting on the stand lying in, in, under oath is a crime. They have nearly 300 cases, and I uh, believe we reported on this just as the information uh, broke out over the weekend. They have over three, uh, nearly 300 cases where they found so far that they were wrong about uh, hair follicle testimony and using it as evidence and experts and uh, expert witnesses in this in this field getting people convicted despite there being no other evidence in so many of these cases. Always agreeing with the prosecutors. Always supporting the prosecutor's cases. Always working towards the convictions. There's, there's not, they don't have cases of these where these experts came out and said, this is not the person. The experts come in and say, whoever you got sitting in front of me, this is what they say about the, you could indict a ham sandwich. I mean, it's basically the same thing. You could get a conviction on a ham sandwich when you bring in FBI experts. And that's what they've done for years. We find out this has been going on for decades. And even just as crazy is that they stopped it around the time when the technology became available to prove that what they were saying was wrong. They just kind of drifted away from doing it, but they didn't admit to doing anything wrong. And they sure as hell didn't admit to it, and they didn't come out and, and, and try to fix it, because this was going on until about the year 2000. This is 2015, and we're getting these revelations. These investigations into this have been going on for years. They know what they've done. Do you know how many people, thousands and thousands of people have died in custody that were wrongfully convicted of these practices 25, 30 years ago. This is a land of lawlessness. That was the, the, the title of our new abolitionist broadcast last night. It's something we discuss on this program pretty much daily is just pointing out the straight up lawlessness. But ultimately, enforcing the law is arguably the biggest revenue generator for this nation. Whether you look at domestic law enforcement here in America, or if you look at America's practice of spreading war all over the planet in the in, in the interest of spreading democracy in law-abiding civilizations. Think about the irony of that. As we uh, take our last break, just think about the irony of that. We go around the world with our military spreading war to spread democracy and create law-abiding civilizations. And here in America, we persecute millions and millions of our own to enforce the law. And these are two of the biggest money-generating avenues in existence. And the people doing it are the biggest lawbreakers living on the planet right now. 
This is the Abolitionist Daily. We'll take our last break and we'll be back. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For live programming schedules, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna Nalaya. This is the Black Talk Radio Network. As we come into our final half hour, I'll give you the number again. It's 712-775-7035. The access code is 367-526-POUND. You hit star six and then the number one and you will be here to chat us up. Give us your thoughts and your feelings about what's going on. Briefly, before we get into that, I promised you I was going to say something about the University of Utah uh, situation. Utah State Prison nurses apparently did not try to contact the dialysis center for at least two days after the center's dialysis tech began missing appointments in the, in a, at the prison in April and then left a voicemail at the center on a Sunday while the office was closed, according to an investigation into the death of 62-year-old prisoner Ramon Estrada. But perhaps the most startling detail in the report by University of Utah Healthcare is what investigators say happened after a prison nurse left the message at 4.36 p.m. in an empty office on a Sunday, April 5th. Prison officials did not seek treatment for six other inmates who also missed dialysis treatments until after Estrada died nearly six hours later. Preliminary medical reports indicate that Estrada died of renal failure after he missed scheduled dialysis, dialysis treatments on April 3rd and April 4th. The investigation by University of Utah Healthcare, which contracts with the prison to provide dialysis to inmates, found that the tech had agreed to switch shifts with a co-worker and take the April and third, April 3rd and 4th appointments. Although the techs both noted the change on a communications log at the prison, the tech who agreed to cover the April 3rd and 4th shift failed to note the change on his personal calendar, and he didn't report for work. As a result, Estrada and six other inmates did not receive di- uh, dialysis treatments. Estrada died on the evening of April 5th while medics were preparing to take him to the hospital, prompting the prison to send all six other inmates who also missed dialysis to University of Utah's hospital emergency room for evaluation. The summary does not indicate why prison staff waited to seek evaluations of the other inmates until after Estrada died. Investigators found that the prison nurse left a voicemail with the university's South Valley Dialysis Center almost six hours earlier at 4.36 p.m. Investigators did not report whether prison uh, staff sought treatment with other health care providers before sending the inmates to the university's hospital. The investigation also does not say when prison officials began taking action to move Estrada to a hospital, what, if any, other care was given or the extent to which his condition had deteriorated before care was sought. Of the six inmates who were taken to the emergency room, one was hospitalized overnight, three received dialysis and returned to the prison, and two were found to not need dialysis immediately. We deeply regret regret the scheduling error leading to the delayed dialysis for these patients, says Kathy Willits, who's a spokesperson for the university health care system. University Healthcare has implemented an improved scheduling notification and alert system as well as clearer communication channels with prison staff, Willis wrote adding that the disciplinary process for the employees involved was still ongoing. Prison officials are concluding 
their own investigation, or excuse me, conducting their own invest, investigation into Estrada's death and missed appointments. Our investigation is ongoing and involves interviews with 30 to 40 different individuals, review of various policies, procedures, logs, and other documents, wrote Brooke Adams, spokeswoman for the Utah Department of Corrections. Like the university, we expect to issue a statement about our findings once that investigation is completed. When Estrada died, he was just weeks from being released on parole after nearly a decade in prison on a rape conviction. He had spoken of the importance of his dialysis treatments in a 2008 parole hearing, saying, I'm getting very sick and very ill, and if I hadn't gotten into that program, I wouldn't even be here right now. So, there you have it, following up on the Mamiya situation. I just wanted to give another case. Of, I mean, this is systemic. Um, there's just no way around it. We, we're, this is why I say we have to appeal to the humanity somehow that you would care about a human being as opposed to worrying about seeing someone as a uh, as a convict because that's got to be I mean that's the only excuse we have is that people just don't see individuals as humans based on their current living situation their current i mean we we know obviously the homeless are completely crapped on just nothing we already know that and the only thing next to a homeless person is a convicted person both are very poor in the most widespread i mean sure there's some homeless people that got money i guess somewhere just like sure there's some people in prison that got money but for the vast majority we're talking about the people that really make up the meat of the populations of both. They're poor. They don't have any advocacy. They don't have anybody looking out for them. The handful of pockets of people here and there, abolitionists and, and, and homeless organizations and ministries or whatever. But they don't have political representation. Hell, you become convicted of a felony, you don't ever have p political representation anymore. Disenfranchisement. Look it up. You're done. So we've got to somehow connect to the humanity in our society. We've got to somehow get people to care. Because this is going to just keep happening. I mean, just letting people just die. I mean, Mumia is pretty well known and has an established network. So when something like this happens to him, he can get his people out and get the word out, and people can start helping and try to figure this thing out. And it made a difference for him, and he still ain't out the, out the deep water. And this old man just—they just let him go. Mr. Uh, Ramon Estrada just let him go some dude took a weekend off man it's that simple his life is over now because some guy had somewhere he wanted to go go do something for the weekend he traded shifts with some other guy and they had this man's life and several other people's lives in their hands I've worked on call before I used to work for a laboratory I worked on call. We had to be, you know, have somebody available if there was specimens sent in, testing. And we used to do uh, oral fluids, urine, blood samples, hair samples, all sorts of drug tests. 
they have contracts, you know, with Department of Transportation and the different railroads and, you know, city and local, you know, different stuff, federal contracts, whatever, wherever people are doing stuff with materials and equipment and, you know, there's there's a liability if accidents happen or whatever, we were the test source for that. And they sent them to, you know, Kansas City, to the hub uh, laboratory where we process all, all that stuff. And somebody would have to be on call. And they took that very seriously. If the Department of Transportation sends you, it's a, a, a train wreck, let's say. I don't know. Long Island Railroad runs somebody over or something, I, whatever. And they take that person's specimen immediately and send it in. And they want that back within the, we promise them 24 hour processing. So you're on call. I did that for years and there's times when people when I wasn't on call and somebody else was on call and they messed it up forgot the pager didn't see the call did whatever we get back to work on Monday and all hell done broke loose you know the big bosses come, who was on call da, 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 whatever that contract and then the whole thing and we all getting a whip but these people got people's lives literally in their hands like if you just forget to go do the dialysis you just see what just happened I don't know what we're going to do, y'all. All I can do is tell you, I get answers from people, and then when I find out answers and what we can do, to, you know, solutions, I share it with you because I, I don't know a lot of times. It's just so bad, I don't know what to tell you. I just try to make sure you know. So one thing you can do is just not be so caught up in thinking everything's all right because it sure as hell ain't all right. It's far from all right. We got some problems. We got some serious freaking issues people are just slipping through the cracks that's just one one guy but there's one guy in every city in every state in america that's one guy every day is, is ten thousand people a day just from various crazy preventable situations when we have taken jurisdiction over when you take a person into custody that means that literally if the let somebody start, start talking about custody of your child and then you'll take custody seriously won't you let the state say we're going to take custody. Get a divorce and let the other person take custody. Let something happen in your family and one of the children in the family, your cousin's kids or whatever, and they don't have nothing and they start talking to you about can you take custody. Then it makes sense when you talk about custody, taking the possession of that thing and taking responsibility for that thing. The only place we don't pay attention to the word custody it's talking about incarceration. Suddenly that word is not as powerful. Suddenly that word doesn't mean as much. Custody, a noun, mid-15th century from the Latin custodia, which means guarding, watching, keeping, comes from custos. Genitive custodis, guardian, keeper, protector. Originally from cover or conceal. There is nothing in that that says kill, rape, abuse, neglect. Nothing. There is nothing about the word. At least change the damn word if you're not going to do it. You can't keep taking people off the streets for slave labor, putting them behind bars putting them in a six by nine 23 hours you can't i mean you can't keep doing all these things you're doing and then allowing people to be raped 
and killed and neglected and die of asthma and die. I mean, come on, man, dying of, of diabetes and dying of cancer. You give them Advil. You have custody. You are guarding the person. You are watching over the person. You are keeping the person. You're not killing the person. So these are things we got to consider. We got to figure this out. We got we got to figure out what to do. So our last uh, part of the program today, we're going to talk about uh, how these people are getting here. This is an article from the Guardian. Um, and I'm just going to give you the, just give you the story. I mean, they they've got a pretty good narrative here, so this will set the table for you. And then we're going to go into talking about Annie Dukin. Since George Perot has spent almost 30 years in prison thanks to a single hair, it was discovered by an FBI agent on the bedsheet of a 78-year-old woman who had been raped by a burglar in her home in Springfield, Massachusetts in 1985. Perot, then 17, was put on trial despite the absence of physical evidence tying him to the crime scene. There was no semen, there was no blood, and so there was no way to conduct a conclusive DNA test. Even the victim testified that the defendant looked nothing like her attacker. He had a short haircut and, his, and was clean-shaven, while Perot had a long, shaggy mop, a mustache, and a goatee beard. But there was a strand of hair. At a key stage in the 1992 rape and burglary trial, an FBI agent named, named Wayne Oaks took the witness stand, describing himself to the jury as an expert in hair and textile fibers. As with so many of the agency's trial witnesses, in condemning hundreds of people to long prison sentences. I, I hate that. You know damn well they haven't condemned hundreds of people. You know for a fact that they've condemned tens of thousands of people. The FBI is our leading law enforcement organization domestically in America. There is no way in hell, if there's just no way that they would be only getting a hundred people or so, hundreds of people. There's 330 million people, 340, 50 million people in America. You're not going to tell me that they set up here and they, oh, we got a few hundred that it didn't work out. And this is a sympathetic ad I'm, or a or, or, uh, uh, magazine article or what have you. So let me, let me calm down. I don't want to attack the Guardian. They do what they can. They're trying to get the information out. We don't see very many American outlets putting this stuff out. This should be, I mean, if I see Kim Kardashian one more time on mainstream news, what the hell do I care about this broad? Seriously, if I see Kanye West doing anything, I don't need, if I see him again on my television screen, it'll be one time too many too soon in my life. What else do, do why? What on earth could I possibly give a damn about Kanye West for? If I like his music, I'll go buy his music. I like Stevie Wonder. I don't see him on the news every day. I wonder why. Why do we not see this, this case on mainstream news blowing up? Why is the FBI not having people in their face with microphones asking them about these cases? You got the Guardian, you got the New Abolitionist Radio, maybe one or two other outlets discussing this. So, this FBI agent, it goes on to talk about his testimony and how he calls himself an expert. He even gave a quote that says, in 10 years, it's extremely rare 
that I will have known hair samples from two different people that I can't tell apart. He is a self-proclaimed expert. The FBI agent's conclusion in front of the jury was empathetic. The hair found on the sheet exhibits all the same microscopic hair arranged in the same way as the characteristics present in the known hair from Perot. I conclude that the hair was consistent with coming from the defendant, he told the court. That testimony, based on a single hair, was so strong, so wrapped in the certainties of science, that it wiped out all doubts and inconsistencies in the prosecution's case. Indeed, it eviscerated the presumption of innocence. There was only one problem. The so-called expert analysis delivered by Wayne Oaks under oath and effective enough to obliterate one-third of a man's life and counting was wrong. In July 2013, the FBI admitted that the foundations of what it called hair comp comparison evidence, a technique that its agents had used in hundreds of criminal cases nationwide and spread through the training of state-based detectives, potentially through tens of thousands of cases, were scientifically invalid. A preliminary review of the FBI's follicular flaws found that microscopic hair analysis could not scientifically distinguish one individual to the exclusion of all others. Statistical weight could not be given to comparisons to suggest a likelihood that the hair derived from a specific source. Expert witnesses should not cite the number of hair analysis they had conducted in the lab to bolster the idea that they could definitively state that a hair belonged to a specific individual. All three errors were made by this one Agent Oaks in front of Perot's jury. Over the past few years, advanced understanding in the science of hair types has left hair analysis as a forensic tool in tatters. Today's consensus by real experts is more straightforward than ever. There is nothing that can be credibly said by FBI-approved analysts or anyone else about the frequency with which particular characteristics of hair are distributed in the human population. In other words, microscopic analysis of hair, the very analysis that put George Perot and so many other people behind bars, is virtually worthless as a method of identifying someone. It can only safely be used to rule out a suspect as the source of crime scene materials or in combination with the vastly more accurate technique of DNA testing. So there you go. Matlock was a lie. The entire freaking history of Walker, Texas Ranger, Matlock, Hunter, CSI, uh, freaking, I don't know, uh, the Law and Order. I mean, on and on. You name these damn TV shows that these fools watch and think this is reality. You just blew it out the water. You're done. It's over. It's done. This is like killing a dragon that has persecuted a community of people. The people that have been rushed through our system into incarceration. Black, white, poor, old, young. That have been brought to justice on these rape cases, murder cases, assault cases where the, you heard the old lady said this ain't the dude that did this to me oh no grandma we got an FBI, FBI expert that's gonna set you straight don't you worry you don't know you were in trauma you didn't realize who was attacking you you don't know who was raping you old lady we got an expert that's gonna come down here from the FBI and tell you who raped you Without any kind of pomp and circumstance, with any kind of a parade, no type of a uh, 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 pop-offs and fireworks and parade or big ex ex explanation of any sort whatsoever, 
We find out years later that the entire process that this system was built on over the last 30 years, at least, you've been at least since the 70s, Kojak and Starsky and Hutch and Beretta and whoever, I mean, you get a hair, you got a case. No, no, not so much. Mm-mm. Now, mind you, we're not going to go immediately to set these people free. Not going to make that move. We're not going to worry about letting the people out. We're not going to retry them. We're not going to bring up their evidence again. We're going to take our time over the next several years to go one by one and kind of look into it and and figure out a way to ease out of this thing that we've set up and we made. See, we were so boisterous when we were going after people. The war on drugs, the war on crime. We're going to just make the streets safe. The super predators and the wolf packs. And oh my God, it's raining and it's snowing and the sky is falling and lions and tigers and bears and all this fear mongering and playing the damn hero. Well, this is the other side of all that playing the hero. When what you've been doing is not even based in reality, it's not even real science. And you've persecuted thousands and thousands of people. You've got to pay for that. You, you, there's no, no, no. You sowed those seeds. The fruit from those seeds are going to come up. As the scientific basis of hair analysis has crumbled, the scale of the judicial catastrophe caused by the FBI's enthusiastic use of it for decades until about the year 2000, 15 years later, we get the news. Do you see a problem with that? Even if we go today and go tear down, if we go today, you heard enough, I heard enough, a million people get the message, and we show up today to go rip the walls off and get our people back. We're still 15 years too late. What kind of a system are we living in? 15 years ago, they stopped doing this. They just quietly backed away from whoops. I'll give them that. At least they stopped because a lot of stuff they still do and they know it ain't worth a damn. They just keep doing it. Like, well, the people that's too stupid to know. Nobody really cares. You got one guy on abolitionist radio talking about it. You got, you got one guy over here for one magazine that wrote an article. Nobody, come on. If we need to, we'll smash those voices out. But nobody cares. I can tell you in total confidence. It ain't no threat. I ain't bragging. I ain't nobody's Billy Badass. I'm just telling you the truth. The reason I'm not gone is because they don't feel like nobody's really listening. The minute I get a following of for real people honestly listening, sharing the information, it starts to go viral, it starts to blow up, it's likely you won't be hearing this show because that's how they get down. They don't fix problems. They just quiet people down. This is the country we're in. 15 years ago, they stopped using this practice, but it's still got all these people incarcerated. They ain't exonerated, but one or two people as they had to after years and years of Innocence Project working for them, after decades of people working. They got the uh, California 12. We talked about the um, uh, brother last night. It's 37 37 years, I think he spent. California prisons with no evidence to convict, convict them of anything. And they found out 12 years, they are uh, 1999 it might have been. 
And over the years in the 2000s, various courts have said, well, you know, we don't have evidence, but I'm not going to let him out. And he finally found somebody that would just stop. They got a new prosecutor, and he joined with the people Innocence Project and was like, this is a shame. Why would they have done this to this man? 37 years he's been in prison. He's part of what they call the California 12, where there's at least 12 people that they picked out just from basic surface searching. It's like, obviously, these people shouldn't be. And it takes you so many years and so much resources to keep fighting to just get people out of the grip of this thing that doesn't want to let them go. Kamala Harris's office sued to keep people in prison when the when the state was already over the limit, 187, 190% over capacity. The Supreme Court had told them five years previously, you've got to let these people out. And they fought that for all those years. And she sat up here in her office, sat up here and told them, we have to keep a certain number of these people in prison for slave labor. We've got to use these people to fight these forest fires. If we didn't have these slave laborers to take out of prison and send in to fight the California wildfires, it would cost our state an additional billion dollars just to fight these fires. Hell no, we're not letting them out. So they can come out here and need jobs. So they can come out here and end up on welfare, some kind of other assistance, cost the state even more money. No, mm-mm, sorry. That's what your elected officials are doing. That's what your top cops in your state, that's the top cop in your state. The cop that all of the cops have, uh, uh, talk to, look up to, uh, report to rather. She is the leading prosecutor in the state of California. So there is no law enforcement that goes on in the state that she don't have a say so in. And this is what she does to enforce the law. It's fight to keep people enslaved so she can get their slave labor and save money for her bosses that don't want to spend the money to pay people like you who would be a firefighter. Hell, I lived in L.A. for years. I've gone through some of the city services or what have you, checked out, to go get my license and go see the state, this and that, go to the unemployment office, go look for jobs or whatever. I didn't file for unemployment. I wasn't there like that, but I went into their offices and looked up the jobs and all this type of thing see what they got listed they got the little posters up there tell you about being a fireman and whatever it's a process that could take you like five years to get on as a fireman out there and be working in wildfires and all of that that's a damn good paying job but you ain't gonna get it unless you go to prison and you're first in line no training, no equipment. Hey, good luck, buddy. Here's a shovel. We got some some stuff going on. So anyway, this is what's going on with the FBI. And uh, just the cold stats before we... I'm going to briefly cover Andy Duke and then we'll be out of here. Um, so as the results of all of this... Uh, concluded that an astonishing 26 of the 28 FBI agents who had provided testimony as expert witnesses at trial based on microscopic hair analysis had made statements to juries that were known to be false. Their erroneous evidence was found in full in, in a full 90% of the trial transcripts that the team has studied so far. The government has identified almost 3,000 cases in which FBI agents may have given testimony involving the now discredited techniques. So far, only about 500 of those have been reviewed. Of those, 268 involved FBI examiners providing expert evidence in court that pointed to the guilt of the defendant, of which 257 of those 
which is 96% included false testimony. Most shockingly, at least 35 of those defendants received the death penalty, 33 of which were the subject of false FBI testimony. Nine of the prisoners were executed, and five died from other causes while they were on death row. So that brings us to young Annie Dukin and Katie Corbett. Forensic testing questions remain after the Dukin sentence. Former state chemists blamed for compromising thousands of criminal prosecutions by falsifying tests on drug cases. Evidence is now criminal in the eyes of the law. After pleading guilty to every charge, Annie Dukin began a three to five year prison sentence at MCI Framingham Friday. This is from, uh, uh, 2013, so she'll be out here pretty soon. But lingering questions persist about the state of, uh, state oversight of forensic testing. They said the entire lab is still suspect. Duke had admitted that she didn't always test the drug evidence she claimed to have tested and that she sometimes forged co-workers' signatures, though she didn't know how frequent that practice was. Records show that in her time of nine years at the state lab, she routinely tested thousands more samples than her colleagues. A state review determined that more than 40,000 criminal cases relied on Dukin's testing, but some say that's just the beginning. We expect it could be many, many thousands more, tens of thousands more, says the Massachusetts Public Defenders Agency. According to Ann Goldbach, initial reports from an ongoing state inspector uh, general investigation show that oversight at the lab was so lax that every case that used this testing is now in doubt. The potential could be 190,000 affected cases. Part of that depends on what we learn about the entire lab. Right now, the entire lab is suspect. Like I said, she went to jail. They're talking about nearly 200,000 people's cases. This is our system. Her co-worker, earlier this week, another chemist was placed on administrative leave because of questions about her resume. State police memo obtained by WBUR showed that chemist Kate Corbett was disciplined for claiming that she had a Bachelor of Science degree in chemistry when she did not. Corbett told supervisors that she had enough credits to earn a second degree in chemistry, but she actually only had credits for a second major in chemistry, but she had not completed them. Her primary major was sociology. She later went on to sue the state because they fired her because she used to go lie on people's testimonies as an expert. I hope we've learned something today. I hope we've learned to connect with the humanity of people who are locked up at a rate of 2.4 million of us. I hope we've learned to connect with the humanity and to remember that all these people locked up, they ain't in there because they did nothing wrong. And when you got 50% of people locked up out of 2.4 million on nonviolent, victimless, drug-related crimes, we have a problem, people. Become an abolitionist. So this message will be for you when I say peace to you, abolitionists. And death to these oppressors. I am out. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chum 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.